from Indiana to Jersey Shore, Port Allegheny to Uniontown, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, nearly two months after the start of the legislative session, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives appears ready to finally get back to work. David Taylor is joined by Rebecca Euler and Stephen Bloom for a Capitol Watch roundtable discussion. And a Commonwealth Court ruling that the state is failing to provide all students with a comprehensive and effective education has set off a fiscal feeding frenzy by the public education establishment. I'll have a town hall commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capital Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. There will soon be an open seat in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives as Representative Linda Schlegel-Culver will resign to take a seat in the state Senate following her victory last month in a special election to fill the term of former state Senator John Gordner, who resigned to take a job with Senate President Pro Tempore Kim Ward. The 108th District includes Northumberland and Montour counties, It is heavily Republican. As a result, nearly 20 candidates have expressed an interest in the House seat. With the seating of three Democrats from Allegheny County who won special elections earlier this month, the State House is almost evenly divided with 102 Democrats and 101 Republicans. The city of Brotherly Love will be electing a new mayor this year, as incumbent Mayor Jim Kenney is term-limited and cannot seek re-election. Given the city's overwhelming Democrat majority, a large field of Democrat candidates has emerged. City Councilman David O. made news this past week as the first and, so far only, Republican to vie for Philadelphia's top job. As required by the city charter, O. resigned his seat on council and launched his campaign at the National Constitution Center. O. said crime and schools will be his top priorities, as well as greater accountability in the spending of tax dollars. The Republican Party of Pennsylvania met in Hershey and endorsed Montgomery County Common Pleas Court President Judge Caroline Carluccio for an open seat on the bench of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Earlier, state Democrats endorsed Superior Court Judge Daniel McCaffrey for the position. Democrats currently hold a 4-2 majority on the high court with the seat of former Chief Justice Max Baer, who passed away last year, vacant. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. A nearly evenly divided Pennsylvania House of Representatives has been unable to get to work as the legislature awaited the outcome of three special elections held earlier this month. Those seats have been filled, giving Democrats a one-seat majority. So what happens next? David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation. David? And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me in the studio, your Capital Watch All-Stars, Steve Bloom, Vice President of the Commonwealth Foundation. Steve, great to see you. Wonderful to be here with you, David. Outstanding. And as ever, Rebecca Euler, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. Rebecca, thanks for being with us. Great to be here again. Thanks, David. Well, 
We're reporting from Sin City, Harrisburg, PA, and uh, wish we could tell you that things made any more sense than they had previously, but that's actually not the case, that the House of Representatives remains in, I think turmoil is a fairly, I mean, that's not too strong a word. Turmoil is absolutely a fair word. That we have the General Assembly coming back in a few days. The House in particular. The House the House in particular. There's clarity in the Senate that the Republicans control the 50-seat chamber, 28-22. But in the House that you have three special elections that were, were won by the Democrats, bringing them to 102 members if you include Representative Rossi from Berks County, who is serving as the speaker. He calls himself an independent, but he didn't change his registration. So on the one hand, I'm a little bit like it's disconcerting that I don't know what's going on. But the one thing that makes me feel better is the certainty nobody else knows either. So Speaker Razi was elected in a last minute compromise on swearing in day back at the beginning of January as the speaker. He was supposedly kind of a compromise candidate And he, in accordance with what numerous people who were in the room said, he had promised that he would change his registration to become an independent. He was a Democrat, but he would become an independent and that he would caucus with neither the Democrats or the Republicans. Mm -hmm. So he would truly be an independent speaker. That's that's what uh, people thought they were getting. The representatives thought they were getting when they voted for Speaker Rossi uh, to become speaker. Now, after that first day where he got elected and then ultimately the the chamber recessed, he closed down the place for over a month. Mm -hmm. No activity whatsoever happening in the house. Locked the doors, uh, prevented anyone from doing anything. He he even suspended the mechanism for introducing bills. So no bills have been introduced in the house. No no rules have been adopted governing the the operation of, of the chamber and how debate will flow in the chamber during the next two years. No committee appointments were made in terms of chairpersons of committees. The whole structure of, of the House of Representatives runs on committees. Bills get referred to committee by the Speaker. It's the committee that normally makes the first decision on whether a bill advances. That whole process has been frozen. So nothing has happened. No legislation has been yeah. issued from that chamber that is there to legislate. Speaker Rossi went on a statewide listening tour to find out what the average citizens in Pennsylvania want for House rules and procedural rules to govern the way the House should function. It's sort of an odd thing because most citizens are interested in other types of issues, obviously, that are more more relevant to the, the, the things they care about than how the House operates internally. Mm-hmm. But he went on a listening tour. And what he heard from many groups across the state that, that came to testify at those hearings is that the rules need to be rules that would actually protect whichever party is in the minority in the chamber. Mm-hmm. When these three Repub- or three Democrats who just got elected in special elections to fill vacancies – are seated, which presumably will happen next week, when they are seated in the chamber, the Democrats will have this majority, if you count Rossi as a Democrat, which right. he still is by registration and by based on who he's caucusing with, Democrats will have a majority. The next thing that has to happen is rules have to be adopted. He's bringing the, the, the House into session, but it's unclear whether he's going to have the votes for, for a rules proposal. So the first thing we could be looking at is yet another uh, deadlock if, if they can't find a majority to vote on on a set of rules. Rebecca, I know that I've never seen anything like this. No. It's like the it's like the coin flip landing on its edge. So Well, I know people like to say generally people like divided government 
folks like to hear both sides of the story. But there's a difference between divided government and completely in capable government, which is where we are right now with the House, at least. And I'm hopeful that things will settle down and resolve pretty soon because it's like Steve said, nothing, there's nothing can get done without rules. We don't have committees. We don't have bills. um, Nothing can move. And of course, as everyone knows, bills can pass the Senate. Bills have passed the Senate, but they're not going to move because they can't pass the House without a House because in session. the House not, is not functioning. Right. So the governor will not get any bills to sign. I mean, it's a complete impasse. So hopefully, like I said, there's a difference between divided government and government that's completely at an impasse. So yeah. got to get beyond this. Weird times. It, it's not clear that it's over. Like we may still be in the midst of this, this, this deadlock because either party that has a one-vote majority in today's world – is has effectively no majority. Right. right. All it takes is one one member of your caucus to side with the other side, and instantly the, the tables are turned over. Yes. And In then fact, statistically, every two year session, there are a number of representatives that move on for one reason or another. Yeah. It could it could be anything from from the worst case scenario: someone passes away, becomes terribly ill, takes another job, runs for another office gets indicted for a crime. There are just multiple things that happen and, and members come and go. And when it's a 101, 102. Yeah. It's uh, too close for the, comfort. The, the, so co- Nobody can one, be confident one, one in anything. Loses, loses one person and now they, they no, no longer have the ability to pass legislation. So anyway, this is the world that uh, Steve and Rebecca and I live and work in. And so we're just, we're just reporting to you folks what, we, what little we know, which is, as you can tell, not much. But Rebecca's point stands that there are still really important policy issues that need to be addressed for the well-being of the Commonwealth. And, when, of course, one of those things is, is just the taxes and spending and the whole scale of government, that that's, you know, that's critical no matter what year it is. And, Steve, you were part of a, a conversation on that topic. Yeah, just this week, uh, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the House, Republican Seth Grove, he convened, since the regular committees aren't meeting on a, on a formal basis, he convened a tax policy roundtable so that members of the Appropriations Committee could still be fact-finding and, and hearing the latest about proposals and ideas from across the country on how to optimize our tax structure in Pennsylvania, how to reduce the tax burden, and how to make sure that whatever choices we make in the realm of tax policy are helpful in encouraging capital investment in our Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So the Commonwealth Foundation was invited to participate. Myself and my colleague Nate Benefield testified. There were other groups there like Pew, like the Tax Foundation, and, and um, Americans for Prosperity. And so uh, we had some really good discussions. It was, it was a, a discussion format. So we testified, all of us testified, and then the members of the committee were able to simply ask us questions directly or, or suggest things to us. So a good interactive exchange. And several things that, that we, were, we were really all emphasizing, those of us who've studied tax policy and understand why it's so important. And really the core of it, uh, I think that, that listeners can, can walk away with thinking about what's most important when it comes to tax policy. We want to make sure that, that people are making capital investments in our state, that they're building enterprises here, that they're making things and providing services and creating jobs and generating ultimately revenue so that the government can't function. And so to do that, we have to be acutely aware that capital, investment capital, is mobile. It's liquid. It goes where it can get the, 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 it's the it follows the path of least resistance to get the highest rate of return. 
There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's the way the economy works. Right. Capital is seeking opportunities to to get the best return. And so, like it or not, what we do in Pennsylvania is never done in a vacuum. What we do, when we change tax policy, whether for the good or the ill, it immediately goes into sort of the worldwide calculus of liquid capital. Mm-hmm. And people decide, am I going to invest on this in this new manufacturing plant in Pennsylvania? Or am I going to choose North Carolina? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's part of a battle that we've often lost in the past, sadly, in Pennsylvania. You're listening to Capital Watch. I'm your host, David Taylor, from Pennsylvania Manufacturers. With me, Steve Bloom from Commonwealth Foundation and Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. And, you know, Steve, the point is well made. The, it's a paradox. But yet, if tax rates are too high, that tax collections are too low because having rates that are too high will suffocate growth, it'll undermine economic performance, and that that means the economy will deliver lower revenues than it would have. Because people adapt their behavior to the the tax laws that are in place. And we've seen this over and over again, and it is – it sounds counterintuitive at first, but often by reducing taxes, you actually increase tax revenue. We saw it with President Trump during his presidency when – he lowered taxes, and at first everyone said, oh, this is going to hurt revenue. Mm-hmm. A couple years later, revenues had increased. Yep. yep. And, Still and increasing. something President yeah. Reagan used to talk mm-hmm. about. I mean, these are things that we've known for decades. Right. Uh, it's hard sometimes to encourage people to realize they're true. I was reading at, at the hearing, I read an excerpt from an article in the Wall Street Journal just from uh, January 31st of this year. I think this is this is enlightening because – at the state level, a lot of people are getting it. A lot of states are becoming more savvy about this and realizing. And this article was called The State Tax Cut Movement. And just to, just to quote three lines from this, state houses across the country are continuing to cut taxes in a movement that shows no sign of slowing down. By year end, nearly half of all states will have cut their income tax rates within a three-year period. At least six states have kicked off their 2023 legislative sessions with income tax cut proposals. Each of these states has at least one neighbor where, ta- where tax rates have dropped recently and competition is sustaining the trend. Yeah. That's the thing. That's, that's what's exciting. And that's kind of what, what we were trying to convey at this hearing. Our neighboring states and states across the country, they're lowering and, and improving their tax structures so that they attract that capital investment. We've got to do the same thing in Pennsylvania to keep up. Right, to optimize growth. Because that's, that's the competitive nature of this. And- that's the reality that we're living in. We have to compete to, to, to retain capital investment in the, in the arena of tax policy. Yeah. And I'll, I just want to give a word. One of the things that, that Pennsylvania has done right is that Pennsylvania's constitution has a uniformity clause, which means that all taxes um, that the Commonwealth levies have to be levied at the same rate on everybody. So that precludes escalating rates like you see in, in some other states and like that's a very important part of our of our state tax structure. Um, fortunately, it's difficult to amend the constitution, so that's a that's a, a, a bulwark for Pennsylvania competitiveness. But there's so much more that we need to do to improve our competitive position. And actually, you know, Rebecca, I heard you talking about the the transportation sector and the the way the taxes have been levied, and that it, it it's leaving Pennsylvania behind. 
Absolutely. I just wanted to go back to what Steve, what, as he was talking about the competition between states, um, wanted to mention real quick, it's actually a vicious circle because I know data has shown um, definitively recently that Pennsylvania is losing workers. People are moving out of Pennsylvania. And where are they going? They're going to the low uh, tax states um, across the board. We know that's true. Um, and it's a vicious circle because we're losing working age population here in Pennsylvania. So, um, um, we don't have enough workers to maintain the economy, um, and we're collecting less tax revenue because of that. So it's almost – it's like a vicious circle. Um, high taxes cause that. Um, so it's definitely something that affects the business community here. Um, we have a truck driver shortage. Um, it's hard to to get workers in, in all of our industries, and especially in Pennsylvania since we – our workforce participation participation rate has gone down. I know um, we we have six, 60,500 fewer people employed here in Pennsylvania since before the pandemic. So we are losing people and we need to keep them here yeah. in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So um, I think that's part of what Steve's saying here. It's, it's that vicious circle of high taxes that we need to reverse. Um, but in the transportation sector, it's just a sort of a snapshot of this, um, a little slice of the pie here. Um, we are the third most expensive state in the country in which to drive a truck. And that's partly because of our um, diesel tax, which now is the highest in the country, and partly because we have um, very high truck registration fees. So we have comparatively low uh, car registration fees in the state, but very high truck registration fees. So um, it actually is a disincentive for trucking companies to establish business here in the state, which um, talk about vicious cycle. Um, the trucking companies are the one that's, ones that support all the other businesses and the consumers in the state. Right. So when you talk, I mean, Dave, when you talk about your manufacturers, um, they need trucking companies to move the raw materials that they use to make their products. Yep. And the finished products that Correct. they send to the consumer. So um, those trucking companies, we need them here in Pennsylvania in order to support um, our economic um, growth and prosperity here in the state. But we're pushing them out of state by causing their cost to be exceedingly high compared to other states. So that's just a small part of, you know, what we're talking about here. But I think absolutely relevant because yeah. it's it's taxes and fees. Yeah. And it's, you know, and again, nobody is saying that that – that the Commonwealth doesn't need tax revenue. That we don't. That it, that we should somehow not pay for the government that we that we need and the government that we use. It's how do you optimize conditions for growth? Right. And that by having way more government than you need, having government that's you know very inefficient and costly, and and the idea of of matching. It's like we need to match expenditures to revenues, not the other way around. That, you know, that when you have politicians decide, well, we're going to spend this much and then go out and cobble together, um, you know, that much money. It's like, no, we need to live within our means and that the way that we increase the uh, amount of funds available for government is through broad-based, sustained economic growth. And when you look at the mistakes that we've made in the past in Pennsylvania, often we've we've sort of pretended that tax policy um, isn't something that people actually respond to with behavioral changes. Yeah, so yeah. when times are good, we just spend all the money that, that comes in. Mm -hmm. our, our state government spends money like drunken sailors. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then when times get tight and they realize, oh, my goodness, we need more revenue, their, their first reaction is let's raise taxes. Yeah. Well, when you raise taxes in an economic downturn – 
what does that do? It actually drives down business activity and ultimately drives down tax revenue, right. putting you in a bigger hole. Yeah, mm-hmm. so exactly. So the spending part of this, this equation is critical. That was also discussed at the hearing yesterday with uh, the roundtable with Chairman Grove. And um, I think it was reassuring to see that so many of the members seem to get that. But it's a battle because our tradition in Pennsylvania has to do the has been to do the opposite. Yeah, in fact, there's a there's a an example, uh, you know, being being an old timer. So in 1991, that Pennsylvania had uh, a one billion dollar budget shortfall and raised taxes three billion dollars to to cover the shortfall, but then also essentially to buy the votes necessary for the tax increase, and that. Um, one of the things that was instituted was a computer services tax. So like the mindset was, hey, there's this new thing, computers, let's tax it. And so fortunately that was repealed just a few years after, but it's it's the sort of thing where, you know, we're gonna we're gonna continue to hurt ourselves, we're gonna suppress growth, we're gonna lose opportunities uh, when you take that when you have that sort of looter mentality of, you know, smash and grab instead of, you know, looking to the future, taking the long view and and being being responsible. Well, it comes back to that old adage that if you want less of something, tax it. Right. Yep. So let's think about the things we want more of yes. and ease up on the taxes. Amen and to that. I'll be more successful. Well, I love being with you guys and talking good sense. Sadly, we're we're running out of time here, so we'll go around the horn. Steve, where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? Folks can visit CommonwealthFoundation.org. Wonderful. Rebecca. Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. You can find us at PMTA.org. Wonderful. And as ever, you can find me online at PAManufacturers.org. For Steve and Rebecca and me, thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Capital Watch. And now... A town hall commentary from Loman Henry. Thank you, David. In Pymatuning State Park near Linesville in northwestern Pennsylvania, there is a spillway stocked with thousands of carp so crowded together that the ducks literally walk on the backs of the fish. Children especially are delighted at the feeding frenzy that occurs when stale bread sold at a nearby gift shop is tossed into the water, causing an explosive competition for the food. That is what happened last week in the wake of a Commonwealth Court decision declaring unconstitutional Pennsylvania's apportionment of K-12 public education tax dollars. The never-satiated education cabal acted like the hungry fish seizing on the ruling as reason enough for state government to toss more taxpayer bread into what is already one of the most expensive educational systems in the country. In the ruling... The court held that Pennsylvania is failing to, quote, provide all students with access to a comprehensive, effective, and contemporary system of public education. What the court did not do was mandate additional state expenditures on government-run schools, noting, quote, there are reform options beyond financial reform. The options for reform are virtually limitless, end quote. Few would argue with the court's finding that the education provided by Pennsylvania's 500 government-run school districts have failed some students, especially those residing in urban school districts. However, that failure is systemic, not financial. State House Majority Leader Brian Cutler summed up the problem, saying, quote, Many of our public schools often lack real accountability and have become captured by special interests and bureaucrats, who put their needs ahead of the students. 
Unfortunately, many public schools remain reluctant about increasing parental involvement in how their children are educated. In fact, some schools have lost their core mission of providing an education and instead focus on newer buildings and non-educational endeavors at the cost of meeting standards, end quote. That the state education cabal has been playing games with funding at taxpayer expense was underscored recently when Auditor General Tim DeFore released results of an audit of a dozen school districts which exploited a legal loophole to raise millions in new taxes without submitting the increases to required public referendum. DeFore's audit found the districts hid hundreds of millions of dollars in reserve funds that could have been used to cover costs without raising taxes. And he warned there are potentially more districts that have engaged in the same fiscal trickery. In fact, the state's government-run schools are flush with cash. Under former Governor Tom Wolf, hundreds of millions of dollars were added annually to the education budget. According to the Commonwealth Foundation, state support of public education is up 40% over the past decade, reaching an all-time high of $13.3 billion in the 2021-22 fiscal year. We rank eighth in the nation for total public school funding. Additionally, COVID-19 relief funds have also plumped up school district revenues by hundreds of millions. That the disparities found by the court continue to exist, despite this exponential increase in funding, underscores the judge's opinion that more dollars are not the answer to the problem. Flushing more dollars down the public education rat hole would actually contribute to two looming fiscal disasters. Pennsylvania State Treasurer Stacy Garrity recently warned that, despite the fact the state's budget is currently on solid ground, a fiscal cliff awaits lawmakers by fiscal year 2025-26. The Independent Fiscal Office has also warned that, quote, a shrinking labor force due to an aging population and outmigration of younger workers could turn the current budget surplus into a budget deficit, end quote. The downturn in the equity markets this past year has put further stress on public pension funds. A recent report by the Reason Foundation ranked Pennsylvania as one of the five states in the nation with the largest unfunded pension liabilities, putting us in the dubious company of California, Illinois, and New Jersey. Summing up the situation, Jennifer Stefano of the Commonwealth Foundation writes, quote, Commonwealth Court affirmed what the Pennsylvania Constitution said all along. Kids deserve their education to be about a meaningful opportunity, not a flawed, antiquated system. End quote. The solution is to halt the unaccountable feeding frenzy by the government-run school cabal until systemic problems are addressed. It also opens the door to virtually limitless reforms by creating more school choice options. Those options will truly give students the opportunity to receive a meaningful education and to embark on a future dependent on their individual initiative and ability, not on their zip code. With a town hall commentary, I'm Loman Henry. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. 
And once again, we're talking about the annual Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, which is the premier gathering of grassroots conservatives every year here in the Keystone State. This year's Pennsylvania Leadership Conference will be held March 30th through April 1st at the Penn Harris Hotel in Camp Hill. Kellyanne Conway will be the featured speaker. She will be joined by Guy Benson of Fox News and John Gizzi of Newsmax as the conference's headline speakers. There will be workshops, seminars, panels, and additional speakers. Complete information, a preliminary agenda, and registration for the 2023 Pennsylvania Leadership Conference can be found at paleadershipconference.org. That's paleadershipconference.org. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.